What's going on, Holy Hell family? This is Josh. I'm going to be your host for our postseason interview season of Holy Hell. Today, we have with us Jelani Memory, who is the author of a kid's book about racism. Man, thank you for being here. Like, why, of all things you could do, why kids' books? I think kids' books are uniquely suited as a magical vehicle to communicate ideas, tough subjects, and to open conversations in a way that maybe no other medium is. What's going on, Holy Hell family? This is Josh, one half of the Holy Hell podcast, and I'm going to be your, uh, what is that called when you do hosts? I'm going to be your host for <laughs> our postseason uh, interview season of Holy Hell. If you didn't uh, see our last episode, we went out to Los Angeles, California, and got to talk to Rob Bell himself, and that was an incredible conversation. If you missed that, go back on the YouTube channel, Spotify, Apple. Um, if you watch or listen to this on some random ass platform. It's probably on there too. And make sure to go watch that. But today we have with us the author of a kid's book about racism. Um, not to mention that, but he actually started an entire organization, an entire company. Is it a nonprofit as well? Or no, it's, 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 it's a regular old C-Corp. Regular old C-Corp, regular old old corporation called Kids Co. We're talking today to Jelani Memory, who is the author of a kid's book about racism. Man, thank you for being here. Yeah, yeah. It took us a little bit to get it scheduled. Uh, you're yeah, busy. Dude. I'm busy, you know, but uh, you got you it. got sick. I got sick. Yep. I went out of town. I got sick again. Here yep. we are. Finally, <laughs> finally made it. Finally. finally made it. Man, so today we're going to talk a little bit about his company, um, A Kids Co., um, a little bit about the passion behind that, as well as we're going to get into some questions around faith, God, theology, all the things that you guys are here for, which Jelani actually has uh, a background in, which actually when I reached out for this interview, I didn't know that. Like, so we, we kind of met on Instagram. And I was like, hey, I want to have you on the podcast. Really love the work you're doing. Thinking like I had no clue like what your background would be. And he was like, yeah, I'm totally down. It sounds great. By the way, like I went to college for like this whole thing for like theology and church work and all that. So we're, I'm sure going to get into some riveting conversations around that. Um, okay. I got a quote for us to start out with today. This is from um, good old Albert Einstein himself. He said that imagination is more important than knowledge. For knowledge is limited to we all now know and understand, while imagination embraces the entire world and all there ever will be to know and understand. Um, I was looking through a lot of the library for a kids co on the website, and I feel like you blend so incredibly well the worlds of imagination and the worlds of knowledge. Uh, like it takes a lot of expertise to take a massive topic like like racism, right? And some of the other ones you have on there, like uh, queer inclusion, um, like climate change, and to package that into not only a book for children, but a book that's like what like thirty pages, right? Um, so I'm really excited. I think to first start this conversation, basically around like why 
of all things you could do, why kids books? Mm. That the Albert Einstein quote, it, it makes me think of, you know, the other one that we all know, which is nobody likes know it all. Um, oh, for sure. Which yeah. is sort of the other side of the coin, right? Which is like knowledge. We say knowledge is power, but it's not everything. Mm. And imagination truly is, I think, something, something special that we always value whenever it shows up. Um, why kids books? Uh, I, I think kids books are uniquely suited as a magical vehicle to communicate ideas, to communicate tough subjects and to open conversations in a way that maybe no other medium is. Um, okay. Uh, most adults have bookshelves full of books that they haven't read. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and we do that as almost like uh, we signal where they're status symbols. Right. When we want to learn about something big, we'll Google it or we'll buy a book. But oftentimes we won't read that book because we don't have time because we're busy. Um, but a children's book, even for adults, we will always read because it's like a five minute read. And oftentimes mm-hmm. its intent is to break down something big and make it small and digestible. And of course the intent is let's deliver that to children so that they learn lessons and ideas. This is you know, Aesop's fables, grim fairy tales, etc. What I found raising my six kids was there was always this time at bedtime when I would go read to them where mm-hmm. they would want to secure as much time with me as possible, where they would eat up anything that I had to read to them and where they would always want to talk afterwards. Mm. And, and having read thousands of children's books to my own children, I realized none of these books are really taking advantage of the format to say things that really can be said in this context. Mm. If, they, if they really took kids seriously, they wouldn't just entertain them. They would educate, enlighten, empower them. Mm. And so I wrote that book actually as a project for my kids just to keep that conversation going so that I'd mm. have something to read to them that would say two things. One, it's always okay to talk about this subject, the subject of racism, skin color, race, culture, color. But also, I, I, I want you to dig into it with me. I want you to ask questions. I want to share my own stories, thoughts, experiences. And, and I think a children's book is uniquely capable of doing that and delivering that message for kids. And I think for grownups who often need something more digestible, if you will, mm. like, you know, I, I, I snagged in 2020, uh, Ibram X Kendi's stamped from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's like 500 pages. Right. I'm sure it's awesome. I'm still on like page 25. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, it's just not enough. To, it's like, it's graduate level. Yeah. And I think me as a black man, I have an experience with racism that is deep and intimate. But what I realized in 2020 is I was watching all these people around me, white folks who were at a first grade level when it came to understanding racism. Mm. And I realized my book was actually the tool they needed to start learning about. Oh, amazing. They didn't, they didn't need the graduate level thing. They needed something ground level. And so in that way, I think children's books, they're not just a great vehicle for kids they're a great vehicle for everyone. So you wrote, you wrote this in 2020. No, I wrote that in 2018. Okay. So 2018 Mm. is Mm. when I write it. My kids say, this is cooler than sliced bread. You should make more books, dad. And they're like, you could make a kid's book about anything. And that yeah. just like unlocked part of my brain that I was like, yeah, yeah, I could. And I'm, I might be just crazy enough to like go do topics that nobody ever thinks you should ever make a children's book about like cancer, suicide, Alzheimer's, climate change, uh, you name it. Right. And yeah. we've done all those books. 
um, you know, plus a hundred more. Uh, mm. and then, you know, I launched a company in 2019 at the very tail end of that, um, uh, with six books ready to ship six books on pre-order yeah. and parents showed up, grandparents, yeah. aunties, uncles, uh, teachers, coaches, therapists, and said, yeah, we want to start these conversations with the kids in our lives. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So I got two questions. Um, I think I'm going to start with maybe a more tangible, easy surface level one. So you started this whole thing in 2019 with this book, right? Yeah. Like his book about racism, just this book here. We are what, four years later, you got like a full fledged corporation, like what seems like a massive roster of author uh, authors writing this, not to mention, uh, I'm going to get nerdy here for a second, but like the branding, the, the color scheme, it all has such cohesion. Um, you put a lot of work into this in a very short amount of time. What took you, well, I'm actually interested. What were you doing before? And then it, this is like your thing. This is your full-time gig now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, before, uh, when I wrote the book in 2018, I was running another company, um, it's called Circle Media Inc. Um, I had founded it, gosh, back in 2012 um, uh, as, a, as a Kickstarter project. And nice. the idea was, can we give kids a great relationship with their online lives mm. through how they spend time, where they spend time, and let parents help in that area? Yeah. We know this is parental controls, but I realized like all the software was like Net Nanny yeah. and Covenant Eyes. And I was like, oh, all this stuff is like, <laughs> hold on. There's literally one called Net Nanny. There's, that was the most popular one in the market Dude. when we launched. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I, I'm inspired by brands like Nike and like Apple. And this should be user friendly that any parent should be able to download an app and be able to manage how their kids interact in the same way that they do facilitating birthday parties or, yeah. you know, uh, soccer or friend hangouts or which school their kids go to. So it took, gosh, four or five years to get off the ground, yeah. raise a little money, ran out of money, raise some more money, ran out of money. We ended up uh, securing a partnership with the Walt Disney Company. Um, so it launched in 2015 as Circle with Disney. Um, and you know, gosh, we, we raised almost $30 million for that business, uh, grew it up, made all the mistakes that you could possibly make. I was a founding CEO. I transitioned to chief product officer. And then I was like, just call me the chief creative officer and I'm going to go do whatever I want to yeah. do. Yep. Yep. That's how I roll. <laughs> and, and it was in the midst of us raising a large round of funding that I, that I wrote that book for my kids, mostly as a way to just work out some of those scratch that itch of making something of creating from scratch again, but also, you know, I just got married, uh, you know, a couple of years previous had four new stepkids enter my life, white wow. stepkids. Mm. And we were having new kinds of conversations that I wasn't having with my black and brown kids. And so it felt, it felt like the lowest ambition project from a commercial perspective, sure. but the highest ambition from a, a fatherhood perspective. Yeah. And it turns out my kids saw the commercial potential in it immediately. And, and it's been off to the races ever since then, building mm. up the brand, the model for how we write and make our books, the distribution approach. Um, and look, we're still learning. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten to work with heroes of mine. I got to yeah. work. I got to write a book in a day with LeVar Burton, with Ziggy Marley, oh, dude, with like Billie Jean King. Um, uh, I, but I, you know, I'm most proud of, we've gotten to work on books with kids. Mm. Our youngest author is eight years old. I just did a book a couple weeks ago with a nine year old. Um, it's, it's, it's not just meaningful work. It is 
activating every creative bone in my body to do something that I think is, is, is both highly interesting, but also wholly good. Yeah, man. Amazing. And this is, I'm sure you've, you get told this quite a bit. Like this is not only like good work, but also like good work for the world. You know, like there's a difference between, um, making good things, things that are good and things that actually do good. Like this is something that does good in the world. That's so incredible. Um, okay. So you grew up born and raised here in Portland. Yep. And if you, maybe you're not from Portland, um, are the, the history of our, our racial history is pretty gnarly. It's pretty, pretty dodgy, right? Yeah. It's, it's just, um, not, not to mention like still like a massive conversations around segregation, marginalization in Northeast Portland, which was predominantly a black neighborhood. Why there are gates in Laurelhurst. Like it's just, it's surrounded our, our city. So you started this whole passion project that is now like your, the core of your life's work around the topic of racism and you wrote it for children. Why? Why was that the topic to start with? You know, the answer to that could be really complicated, but it was really simple. I, I all of a sudden had four white stepkids who were now having to navigate race in a more thoughtful way than they've ever been asked to. Mm. Cause as soon as I start showing up to pick them up from school, it's, it's who's that guy. Oh, that's my dad. Oh, he's, he's like, actually my stepdad. Oh, he doesn't look anything like you. Mm. And now they're having to go, Oh God, like, what do I even say? Right. right? And right. they're reckoning with my racial identity, but they're all also reckoning with their own. Right. Mm. Um, And so for me to create a way that just said, it's okay to talk with me about this. Not this book has all the answers. It explains racism and somehow, you know, does all the work that Martin Luther King Jr. did. Like, no, like it just goes, it's okay to talk with me about this. Mm -hmm. And we're now going to have a shared language from this book. That was Mm -hmm. the ambition for my kids. Mm -hmm. And, and I was, I was initially really shy about even, even writing the book, but I realized My story is my story. It's not everyone's story. It's not everybody's experience with racism. I'm not a scholar in racial studies or the the history of racism in America, but I am an expert on my story. So I will share my story with my kids, which is very specific and unique. And through that, maybe it'll open up all these other conversations. And and I look, I, I wrote it in a week and I designed it in a week. Like this wasn't like this is not like life work kind of stuff, like total accident, sort of the whole output of that thing. But, you know, 35 years of experience sort of getting poured into this book and, and having grown up here in the whitest big city in America, Mm -hmm. I, I had a lot of thoughts and feelings that I wanted to make sure my kids were aware of, had in the back of their mind. I wanted for my white kids to understand them, to know how to navigate race, but I wanted for my black kids to understand, like, here's what I've been through and here's what you might go through, mm. just to have some mm-hmm. words and a language for it. And it's been it's been thrilling to see that book go genuinely all over the world, to get to get asked to to speak at and be at places and spaces that I never thought and imagined that I could be. Hmm. And, and standing, I think on this platform of going, I'm not an expert at this, Mm. this, like there are a hundred people who could write this book better than me, but I'm just telling my story and that's the beauty. And I think the, the ultimate unlock for the company was 
we all have our own story and we are an expert at that and we are the authority at that. And it has that story has value for other folks, for other people, hmm. if we share it honestly and vulnerably. And, and this was me doing that. And, uh, I don't know. It's, it's been, it's been cool. I mean, right away, automatically unlock conversations around grief and divorce with my kids Mm. nothing related to that, but it was me being vulnerable and said, Hey, it's okay for you to be vulnerable too. Yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful, man. Well, thank you. Number one, thank you for sharing that. Um, and again, that work is so needed. Um, so I want to go into a couple of things, Emily, if I forget, um, I'm going to tell you like where I want to go just in case I get like, like kind of rabbit trail. Um, so I would love to talk about, um, this is gonna be a bit of a hard left turn here. I want to talk about maybe your theology, your, your church background. What does that look like? Um, because there's like, I'm sure some of that is laced, like at least maybe some of the, the core theological ethics you might have is laced into why you have a company that looks like this at the same time, y'all, I literally have no clue what the hell you believe (laughs) at all. I just know you did something. You dabbled in the God world for a minute. So this will be fun. Have no clue. But then also, um, if you're willing and and this is the one I might need you to remind me on, I would love to have a conversation about, um, once we, are done talking about church. Let's talk about church and racism and especially you launching this right before 2020. Yeah. Like that had to have been a wild ride. Yeah. Being known for this book during that time. So yeah. Yeah, man. So first question, like, uh, so what's up with hell? Like, where are you at with that whole, I'm totally totally kidding. Hey, I'm totally kidding. Let's go there. That's so what's funny is like, those are questions I get from my kids. Do you think hell exists? Yeah. Right. And, Having so many kids that I have and having the childhood that I had that was very traumatic, um, you know, dad left when I was four, mom was not fully emotionally present, but put food on, put, put food on the table, mm. experienced abuse and a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, um, I, I sort of live in this state of, I feel more at home and feel more comfortable when things get really real. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Same. I'm like terrible at small talk, by the way. Dude. Uh, oh my God. I think we're going to be best friends. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, I'm terrible at parties. Um, uh, I do not think hell is a place that exists. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just don't. I, and, and I actually support that biblically. I just go, it's not, it's not there. It's just not there. It's, it's just not there. We have a whole episode about it. If you really need the nitty gritty, but it could be literally, if you wrote a kid's book about hell, it would just be blank. That's where I'll leave that. <laughs> um, yeah. So dude, that's, that's wild. So like really like your life's work is taking massive lofty, big topics like racism, like climate change, like hell, right? gender, uh, uh, equality, like massive things and diluting them down in a way to where a child or someone who's never experienced something like racism can understand that. Yeah. That is what a gift to be able to do that. But then also the, the cons, the social cultural backlash you might have from that. I'm, I'm excited to get into that. So before we go there though, tell me about like, tell me about your origin story in regards yeah. to God, Christian yeah. faith. How did that all start for you? Well, look, uh, zero to 18, you know, maybe went to church once or twice on an Easter. I remember patent leather shoes at one point, but that's oh, yeah. about it. You know, I never heard about Jesus, never heard about, you know, read anything from the Bible. The gospel is as far from me as, as anything. 
Um, I'm just about like art, sports, girls, and just like trying to get through life, right? Yeah. And and I have this life changing experience my junior year of high school. Um, I am the most popular kid in school at that point. I am playing three varsity sports. I have a pretty girlfriend and um, everybody likes me. Mm. But inside, I just, I feel wrong. I feel sad, depressed, broken. Mm. And I'm smart enough to go, I have everything I want and I'm not happy. Something's missing. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do a world religion study. So I like a little, I don't even read books at this point, but I go to Annie Bloom's books here in Portland and I buy literally scriptures from the major world religions. So I've got like the Tibetan book of the dead. I've got part of the Quran. Like I'm, I'm like diving in because I'm like, there's gotta be some bigger answers that are bigger than me. Cause I'd sort of centered my whole life around me and I Mm. I had the answers. I realized I don't really have the answers. And, and, you know, serendipitously, I don't know, Holy Spirit, like what, who knows? I find myself at this thing called Young Life. And, and I have a transformative, like joyful experience where I'm like, I want to learn more about this. Mm. I become good friends with the leaders there and they go, you got to come to camp and, and look, I'll, I'll dissect this in a bit. No, Let me give you the, it, the pretty yeah. version. Yeah. Um, and I go to camp and I have even a more transformative experience and I hear about Jesus for the first time and I go, I'm about it. Like, let's do this. Like I'm in and, and I'm like, literally like my just whole life transforms. It's like exactly what you want to hear about these kinds of stories where somebody encounters God mm-hmm. and their life genuinely changes. Yeah, It's yeah. not just that like they wear, you know, more modest clothes and hang sure. out with different friends. Like yeah. that my, my heart literally changed. And it, and it genuinely set me on a different path and allowed me to start to reckon with my childhood and the experiences that I had in my childhood and the grief there, my parents' divorce. It also let me reckon with my future and to go, who do I want to be and what do I want to be about and how do I want to live? Um, a year later, I find myself at Bible college. Mm-hmm. Um, I had wanted to go study industrial design to design sneakers. Turns out that school is expensive as hell. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I find myself at Bible college as a backup to go, you know what, if I'm not going to go study for what my career is, I'm going to go study for what I think the rest of my life is going to be about. And I spend four years at, you know, what time it was Multnomah Bible College, then Multnomah University. Now it's like, like literally like two days ago, it's like the Multnomah campus of Jessup University because yeah. they just merged with another yeah. college, <laughs> um, which I have feelings about. But anyways, um, and, uh, and I have the best four years of my life. I like, yeah. I grow up into a full person. Um, I also realized that there's like, there's some stuff off with this whole thing. Mm. Um, as I'm embracing it and, and doing like literally studying Greek and become like, you know, I can sight read Greek, but you know, into my second year, um, I'm doing, you know, really deep theology classes, Old Testament survey, you name it. Um, I'm also sort of like, I don't think some of these people actually believe this stuff. Like I, mm. it was like, it was very apparent to me you know, my like BS detector was just on. I was like, some people are just kind of born into this and they don't actually yeah. like, this is just the club they've always been a part of yeah. and they don't know how to break mm-hmm. out of it. Cause I was like, some of the stuff y'all believe is wacky. Like I don't find that in the book. And I also go like, that's just not good. Like it's yeah. obviously not good. Um, and, and so at, the further we get along, the more I'm, I'm, I'm needing to disentangle these things from sort of God and God's people and, mm. and go, people are often screwing things up a lot. 
Um, I think God's doing some stuff that maybe we don't understand or that we just are not embracing or just something totally other. Or like when Jesus came, he's like trying to blow it all up because he thinks what we did was all bad with the whole religion thing. Mm. Um, so I, I finish college, I get out of college and I kind of spiral out and not spiral out sort of religiously or the God stuff, but I spiral out because for the first time I'm reckoning with my dad abandoning our family and having no relationship with him. Mm. And, and I, I like make a conscious decision to sort of like put a wall up in front of my heart in the midst of that I get married. I have a kid The you know, marriage is real rocky. We end up getting a divorce for reasons. And, and I find myself with a kid divorced sort of totally closed off and going, okay, I, I gotta, I gotta really sort of circle back and figure out what do I really believe? How do I really want to live? And and how am I going to make sense of life? And, and it was actually a very easy decision to go, you know what? I'm pretty sure I believe all the same stuff still, but I think how that works itself out in my life now has to like find itself in a very practical way to work itself out where, it's not just that that pull and that tug of belonging to a certain club mm. or an affinity group or that, you know, here's the songs you're supposed to listen to and the movies you're supposed to watch. Not that I really totally embrace that, but I think the tug and the pull, especially the church on that is really strong. Oh, yeah. And and I get married. I get have these wonderful four-step kids. We, my wife and I have a kid together. By the way, we just celebrated our seventh anniversary. Dude, congrats. And... And I'm fast forwarding through a lot, but I think uh, a lot of this will make sense of it all is, you know, we have these three successive experiences that I think sort of solidified a lesson for me about religion in general, God, theology, sort of all of it wrapped up in one. And we had three churches successively blow up because Mm. some dude, it's always a dude, was, was in charge did something, you know, reprehensible and blows up the whole organization three yeah. times in a row. Yeah. Like in like a year's time span. And what, what year was this? This was, so it's like, this is 29. So this is right around when I wrote the okay. book. It's yeah. like 2019. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. This is 2018, 2019. And, um, Look, that had an impact on my kids. It had an impact on my wife and it had an impact on me. And those impacts were different because my wife came from a totally different background. We both came to faith late in life. Um, but she had sort of done the rural thing, which is its whole own mm. sort of white rural, like oh, yeah. you vote Republican, you got a gun yeah. and, you know, we don't hang out with brown people. Like, like that yeah. whole thing, right? Yeah. Um, and, and you know, she started to go through just going, I don't know if I believe any of this, but also like deconstruction, right? Which yeah. I, was, I was like, yeah, I was like, go rip out all the garbage that you yeah. ever got taught. For me, it was a little more nuanced because I, I, I feel like I didn't embrace some of that stuff. I went in pretty clear eyed to these yeah. places go, oh yeah, like I've been in charge of stuff. I know how flawed people in charge of stuff are. Yeah. But I started to look at the model and, and, and really actually went like back, like maybe like 500, a thousand years and thought, you know, the, the imprint that colonization has had on the Western church is maybe so endemic, so poisoning that maybe there's no disentangling the two from each other Mm. that, that to some extent, even the ministry that I came through the faith through 
you could look at it through a colonization lens to go, they're dro- they're parachuting into a new high school. They're going after the popular kids. Mm-hmm. Right. And there is definitely a cultural element to it where it's like, listen to these songs, go to these things, hang out with these people, dress this way. And, you know, for me, I was thinking, I think this model is just broken. Mm-hmm. And, and I was also like, I don't even know how we got this model to be honest. Cause this model, if I go back biblically, I go, it doesn't even exist. So there's that. Yep. <laughs> but now we've sort of said, this is the only model that it can be under. And one feeling, you know, I'm, I'm typically very comfortable taking controversial stances. I've sort of taken the controversial stance to go, the model is broken. There is no version of it that I think can actually work. Yeah. So while people are going around going, how big should your church be? And mega churches are bad, but you know, local churches are good. I sort of go, I think actually the whole like own a building and operate it like a company is probably broken. It's probably broken and comes from some roots that are really damaging. Mm. Um, and so that's a lot of where I'm at today. But, you know, theologically, I actually haven't moved that much from mm. even where I was in college. Um, and, 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 and look, like evidenced by the work that I do telling these stories, um, most people in the church, uh, probably don't agree with me on things related to, to gender, related to sex, related to racism, related to mm. global politics, related yeah. to Israel, related to all of it. Okay. Um, and I'm okay with that. I'm yeah. okay with that. Cause I also know that, look, I don't, I don't know everything. And I'm also not like, I'm not trying to run around. And this is like, I, I don't know. I don't need to like beat up on like Christians. Um, but I'm not trying to like run around oppressing people to make myself feel good. Yeah. yeah. Which, which seems to be like 90% of it for a lot of folks. And I just sort of go like, isn't the book that you're standing on that I, I genuinely believe in is, doesn't that book have a lot to say about that? Like a mm. lot, like a lot of really negative things to say about you oppressing other people who are vulnerable, who are marginalized, who are different from you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like nobody bothered to read it. Yeah. And it's, I like how we've ended up here. I don't know, but you know, money, power, colonization, white supremacy, you know, mix that in a stew for 500 years Mm -hmm. and you get, you know, modern Western American Christianity. Yeah, man. I feel like we just clip that and that could just be the (laughs) podcast episode. Damn. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're hitting at so many undertones and things that we all feel like is for most of us who have been inside and then found ourselves outside of the thing. And then once you look back in, you see all of the things that you notice just like humming underneath the surface of the, of the entire institution. Uh, So if you could recreate the Western church, what would that look like? I, I don't know why my first instinct is I wouldn't bother, but um, I actually try and look at what things exist that already embody and embrace the the values, the ideals, the moral compass yeah. that I see in the New Testament. And I go, I already see a lot of that stuff. Um you know, I see that when the women's march happens, saw that with the outrage over George Floyd's murder. I go, that all that all feels very radical Jesus type stuff. Mm-hmm. 
you know, sort of be damned what the establishment of the church would say to that. I go, no, actually like, uh, this feels like pretty part and parcel. And I, I guess I'm this need to almost like, um, empire build. Mm -hmm. Um, I just go, maybe we just don't need it. Maybe, maybe it's enough to exist as a people and have a voice. Um, and, and be in community, which is like, yeah, I, I live in a city. I live in a neighborhood. I have friends, but the way we've twisted that and commercialized it and, uh, commodified it and, and made it be about the opposite of, you know, like I just go, um, I think those are indicative of the model in a lot of ways and, and also some of the motivations. So yeah, I don't, I, I like, it's not even let's remake it. It's, it's yeah. maybe just, just tear it down. Maybe, maybe yeah. it can exist without the, um, I don't, I like, there's always these moments in the new Testament where the disciples are begging Jesus to do something. They're just begging him. They're like, Jesus, more structure, right? Mm. Like now's the time we're going to lift you up or like Jesus, it's, if there's a storm, are you going to do something in this boat? Right. Mm. And he's sleeping. Yeah. Like he's trying to say, I don't really give a damn about that. Mm. And I'm going to, I'm going to actually like almost like put on a show just to show you how little I care about these things that yeah. you guys care about. Those lessons are there. They've been there for thousands of years. And it just baffles me that we still find ourselves back at these points mm-hmm. where we are trying to, where we fall into the same pit, the same failures that it wasn't just the disciples, the Pharisees, the sort of religious institutions. And it always ends up in the same way. Like we want power and we will leverage the, the God ethic, the God story, the God book to get power mm-hmm. and keep power. And I just, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah. 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 It's so beautifully well said. I mean, you're, it sounds like to me, you have always read the scriptures the way it was intended to be read, which is a book that was written to marginalize and oppress people, a book written by slaves to other slaves to show hope, which makes sense because someone like me, a very privileged white cis man living in the widest city on the West coast, if not our entire country. Um, the whole thing is rigged in my favor. Right. Mm. And so to read the Bible in a way where it's rigged in my favor is very easy. Um, and like you said, I, I would argue we have built entire, not just churches, but entire denominations or an entire way of what it means to understand what church is, AKA the Western American church. Um, we have built entire systems and cultures and infrastructures built around the idea that this Bible is there just to accommodate your life versus no, this is actually a massive uh, fist shaking up the system yeah. over and over again. That's what we see throughout the scriptures. Yeah. Like the, the predominant message of Jesus was shaking your fists at the system, but then also going to find peace is not through a sword. Yeah. There's, there's a third way of finding peace in that. Yeah. You, it, a big part of what got me here was actually, it was, it was something really simple, but profound. Um, 
So in college, my junior year, I was student body president and, you know, uh, living off campus with one of my professors and he had Mm -hmm. a single guy, house full of guys who lived with him. Okay. And it was like, it was like a huge deal to get to live with Dr. G. Um, uh, he was professor for, uh, the Pentateuch and a handful of theology classes and just like, just a guy everybody loved and revered. And he's, he came to me one day and a group of us and said, Hey, I've got this idea. He's like, I I think we're reading this wrong. I wonder if we can read it maybe the way it's supposed to be read, which is just all together and not dissect it or overcomplicate it. Or, you know, like this whole idea of like diving into verses and memorizing verses is like almost absurd because it's like nobody reads any content that way at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so he's like, I got this idea for this thing called the Bible marathon. He's like, we'll just read whole books together and we'll net, we won't talk about it. We'll just read it. Hmm. Just read it. And, and his first, his first idea, he's like, I want to read the whole new Testament in a day. And, and I was like, yes, yeah, I, I'm down. <laughs> yes. Let's do this. Um, Cause especially as a Bible college student, you get so into the minutia. Like when you start dissecting, you know, the participle of a Greek word and stuff mm. like that. Like you're so in the weeds oh, that you yeah. can kind of lose the force for the trees. Yeah. And I remember we started at 8am in the morning with a crowd, a group of 15 of us and we finished 2am the next day. Okay. Wow. Now sounds like what I'm saying, it sounds like really like religious and profound and other stuff, but actually it was, it was just sort of like, it was like listening to a long story. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and we stopped for meals, but we, we made a point to go like, don't like argue or debate or mm. dive into the minutia. Just heat, just like a movie, just Take let it, it sort of yeah. just hear it. And, and for the first time I was like, Oh, I think I know what this is trying to say. Mm. And especially when you hear whole books like Hebrews or especially revelation or the book of Matthew all at once you go, Oh, it's so obvious. It clicks. Yeah. It clicks. But it's like we had been, watching TikTok videos, you know, mm, just these 15 yeah. second clips of the scriptures and never quite getting, you know, it's like when you, yeah. those movie clips show up. Oh yeah. And it's like, oh, if yeah. you haven't seen the movie, it's like, you have no context. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Why is Heath Ledger doing that? <laughs> um, and, and it finally made sense to me. And just, I mean, if you just sit down and read it, what a revolutionary radical shake its fist at the man book. Mm-hmm. I, I just like, there's no other way to look at it. Yeah. Right. Like it's meant to topple empires. Yeah. And that for me, that's always stuck with me as a thing I come back to. And look, we ended up doing that a lot. We, we did it with the first five books of the old Testament. We, we did it for all the prophets. We, I was like, we started to do larger chunks in that way. And especially when yeah. you start diving in the old Testament, you go, Oh man, this was all, he's, it's like a very long joke. Like yep. you start to contextualize some of these smaller parts into a bigger narrative and you go like, Oh, I think I get what he's saying right now. Mm. Um, and, and that left a, I think just a deep impact on me theologically and how easy it was for so many of us to get it wrong mm. and, and its purpose and its intent and even what it was trying to say. And that's, I'm not like, this is not me Bible scholaring anybody. Sure. It was just a simple exercise for it to reframe, I think, in my mind, what the purpose of the book itself was. Man. Yeah. Okay. So you, you first were introduced to the whole idea of maybe organized religion. 
through young life, which is predominantly if you're not familiar with young life, I, I never did young life, but like, it's fairly conservative. Right. And it's like theology yeah. for the most part. Um, but it's mainly centered around a sense of belonging, a sense of community. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like, like, you know, I threw that joke out there of like, uh, do you believe in hell? And almost immediately like, no, I don't think it exists. I would say like most people in young life, at least young life leaders or the bigger people behind it probably hold a conservative viewpoint of, of hell, which then means conservative viewpoint of the bigger things. But it doesn't sound like that was ever a contention for you. Like it, you're a part of something where you were able to read things for what it was and what it is. But then maybe like some of those more like empire driven slash whitewashed ways of looking at the scriptures, you were able to just be like, yeah, that's just not, not for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm now reflecting back and going, you know, I don't think anybody ever was like, if you don't believe this, you're going to go to hell. I don't yeah. think I ever got told that, which wow. maybe is just yeah. a, a miracle in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, but I was always smart enough to ask really good questions. Yeah. And great. I, I even remember the very first time I started diving into the Bible. I was like, I was like, wait a second. I was like, who's this father guy? I was like, I thought Jesus was, was like, was God. I thought Jesus was the homie. Like, yeah. who's, who's this father guy? I was like, and like, now we got a Holy spirit. I was like, Oh, like, oh, okay. This doesn't make sense. And I really, cause for me, I like the, the doctrine of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. I didn't start there. Yeah. I, I had to sort of wrestle my way to go. Okay. So we've got, you know, I just had to make sense of it. And, yeah. and I was, there was the gift of almost like self discovery in that way of trying yeah. to find my way through it. And I also think it led me to some places to go. I didn't get the theology first. I got the text first and then I got to sort of develop a theology mm. and it also tremendously helped. And I just like, can't recommend this enough is like, I was just reading a lot of CS Lewis. Like mm. there was a quote, in my little young life Bible from CS Lewis. And so that like led me to like the great divorce. It led me oh, wow. to, yeah. uh, you know, the problem of pain. Uh, it led, it led me to like, and so my, my theology ends up being very sort of Lewisonian in a way mm -hmm. where, um, uh, I, I take a very, I don't know. I, I think he had a very open mind yeah. when it came to a lot of stuff. Like, you know, this whole like evangelical thing of like magic is bad and Harry Potter, like don't like watch Harry Potter is like, I don't know. Y'all are, you know, reading C.S. Lewis, right? Lots yeah. of magic. I mean, and not to mention the literal dead guy coming back to life yeah. in our Bible. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole thing. That's been always something I found so fascinating that like, actually, we just talked about this. So we have, if you're not part of our Patreon, there's a Patreon video out, should be out now where we sat down with the Ravel podcast and we did veggie tales reactions because mm. I'd never seen it before ever. And, um, this like whole thing came to mind where like you have a kid that like reads the Bible and Marvel comic books. And let's say they continue to read both as they grow up. Socially, we are then told at one point, like if you grew up Christian, the Marvel comics are a fairy tale, mm. but all the more fairy tale esque things in the Bible, those all actually happen. Yeah. Like we're kind of conditioned to hold those things. And so I've always yeah. found that so fascinating that like, you know, we talk about a dead guy coming back to life and that's not yeah. like too insane for people, but like <laughs> yeah. superheroes yeah. are. All right. So how about random quick question? What is one thing that maybe you 
beyond a shadow of a doubt believed that maybe recently or in the last few years or at any point in your God history, you were like, you know what? I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to leave that one behind. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll, I'll be very honest. Um, I think, I think abortion was a very straightforward issue for me. Yeah. I, I was like, uh, babies can't defend themselves against anybody. Mm. And so protecting them seems right and good and yeah. protecting a life. I go, uh, that to me was just like the easiest sort of circle to square. And, and not just a, a lot of really thoughtful people sort of nudging me differently, but I also think like society, society and the changes that have happened. And, and I think me actually tuning my ears to listen to women mm. to go, Jelani, there are more things at stake here. Yes. And this isn't about how do we murder as many babies as possible? How do we have as much sex as we want to without consequences? Actually, this is about the autonomy of our bodies and Mm -hmm. what happens to women that is fundamentally different than what happens to men when a baby is on the table. Um, And I just realized I was like, oh, oh, this is just like, just like plain and simple patriarchy, like misogyny, like, Mm. you know, like I'm a man and I just just let it go just go it didn't affect me go right over my head and i think i've really embraced this idea of going yeah the issue is really complex and sometimes it is a case-by-case thing but this idea of like letting women choose what happens to their bodies that's actually really simple Mm. that's really really simple to me um and 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 especially i I think it really struck me when I when I understood the statistics around black and brown women and how they're affected when abortion laws change and yeah. the mortality rate. I was just like, I was I, I realized it was like going, oh, a system full of men who are all in leadership who make all the decisions about things. Of yeah. course, they're not prioritizing women in any way possible. Of course. And so that, I, I don't know if there was one day where I was like, oh, I used to believe this and now I believe this. I think it was right. gradual or sort of going like, oh yeah, I guess that's, that is, that is a right outcome or that is right. fine. Yeah. And it wasn't it, but I don't know if it was ever a place where I was like, I was like, oh, no abortion ever. That's murder. You know, like let's send everybody to jail. I don't think I was quite there, yeah. but I was definitely in the camp of going like, yeah, pro-life. I like life. Life's yeah. good. Who's, who's up against life. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, and have definitely, I think moved in that opinion. Amazing. So what would you say then to people that are watching this or listening to it that are just like so sure that the thing that they were handed was like absolute truth, whether it's something like pro-life or like, or abortion or something like resurrection or hell, um, what would you say to them to help them to begin to ask all the right questions to see, is there something more than just this, like you know, black and white answer to bigger things to me. And this is something I try and employ across my entire life, but um, where these ideas came from is really powerful for me. Mm. Um, Cause sometimes you just trace an idea back and it's like, it's, you can just trace it back to sometimes it's a decade. Sometimes it's a hundred years to a person with ill and malevolent intent that is either for power or for money or for greed or for uh, like it's, it's born out of racism or white supremacy or uh, you know, genocidal intent. And and it's just easy to go, Oh my God, that's where that came from. Yeah. And, and many ideas you can trace back pretty easily in Mm -hmm. that way. 
Um, which is why I think for me, it was like, um, you know, I, like that the rapture was ever even a discussion. I was, I was like, it's just not in the text. Like y'all, like <laughs> how could this have been a movement? I go like, you, you can't start with, I think God's going to take it. And like, you got this 20 book series left behind. I was like, where are they getting this? I just don't even know. Yeah. So for me, like tracing those ideas back, going, like, oh, like it's got some, you know, cult origins and, you know, mm. sort of like messianic. Anyways. So for me, I think understanding where these ideas come from, mm. um, then, then can help you sort of sift through to go, do I trust that person and their motivations yeah. for canonizing these ideas? Yeah. And even for me, I remember being in Bible college and hearing about the construction of the canon and the council of Nicaea. And, mm. and I thought, Hmm. So I go, who's on this council? Yeah. Who's on this? And I, and I was like, I was like, okay. I was like, I was like, okay. Some of this is looking for like provenance, and some of these are they're they're comparing texts against each other and when it's written. I go, yeah, okay. I'm like, I'm down with that. But yeah. I go like, this is all very fraught for group project. Who's the loudest person in the room? Who's got the power? Where's mm. the money coming from? I go like, it's still fraught with that. Yeah. And look, anything that humans touch sort of is fraught with that. But I, I just sort of thought. Did they miss something? Could they miss mm -hmm. something? And, and I'm very comfortable to say, sure, yeah, yeah, maybe, of course. Because if you if you believe otherwise, then it leads you down this path of going, well, I just have to believe it because they said so. Yeah. And then it's like I'm doing things out of my out of my self interest or against somebody else to harm them because they said so, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where again, just being a thinking person and trying yep. to put your thinking cap on. It's like I don't think living by faith is ignoring your own moral compass like that. Oh, that's so ridiculous, good. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um investigating those things. And if you're ever in a context, and this for me is like the biggest red flag, if you're ever in a context where asking questions is frowned upon, mm. ask yourself the question, why is asking questions frowned upon? Yeah. Um and and for me what a gift it was. And I will say this a million times over to get to go to the school that I went to and have the professors that I had and get to study theology in the Bible and have the freedom to ask questions and mm -hmm. have those things have, have professors go, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. You know, or go, oh, I, I, I think it's actually this or, Oh yeah. A lot of people get that wrong, but it's, and, and instead of, Oh, it's like, or do you even believe in God if you're asking that? Cause like, you know, like, yeah. no, like it's okay to ask questions. Yeah. Man, that's, yeah, that's so good. Okay. So, um, maybe this will be like the last topic we get into. And then I've got some, uh, rapid fire questions for us at the very end. Cool. cool. Um, so you write a book about racism right before a massive, a, a massive event. The murder of George Floyd happens in 2020. Not to mention you have wrapped up in that um, a massive BLM movement, um, he who shall not be named, who has orange hair, as <laughs> well as in the middle of all that, you have this like huge pandemic, right? And so we're all disconnected from one another. And one of the massive topics that happens in 2020 is the topic around racism. And what I want to do is maybe talk about how the church interacted with this conversation um, I will speak first from a, uh, very white washed coming from like a whitewashed church. Um, the church did, as we know, a terrible job with this conversation. Um, and I think the reason, one of the reasons why from again, my, my white cis man perspective is because I didn't ever hear 
about a church talk about this conversation yeah. until they had to. When yeah. I say had to is because there was too many people, finally, too many people saying, why the hell are we not talking about this? And so we did. We did our sermon series, right? We we did the little snippets on, on Instagram, and we did the PR statements, and then it subtly, in the institutionalized religious way, subtly just kind of diluted itself once again out of our conversations. I'd love to know maybe from your perspective. And again, like I I don't want to use you as a textbook with this either. We need to do our own work and our own research with conversations like this, but I would love to hear your story of you being a person of color watching something that deeply matters to you, which is a conversation around God and a conversation around racism. What was going on in your life and your human experience, your story, watching the church maybe interact with this conversation in 2020? Yeah. This is a story I've never really told publicly, but I've told among friends. I I was at a very small church when George Floyd was murdered, when I was, you know, um, uh, I was very conflicted because the sales for my book went through the roof. Like, sure. you just couldn't even chart it on a graph. And I thought this is, this is not the time to be doing well. Um, mm. and, it, and it took a few friends and advisors to go, Johnny, you're actually, you're providing a, a help to this yeah. moment and like a solution for parents who don't know what to say. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember a very disheartening church meeting over zoom where I just realized nobody on this call gets it. Nobody understands what just happened and why it's important or they want to, but I don't, I'm just like struggling. Cause I got to sort of get to take the stage a little bit to share what was mm. happening with me and my thoughts and feelings and, you know, get to pull in some of my theology. And, um, I, it was like having a conversation about calculus when someone was just getting introduced to like the multiplication table mm. and how it might work. Right. Yeah. And I, I couldn't find, like, I just didn't have the right tools, nor did I think it was my responsibility to right. sort of offer all the right tools in that moment. Right. Um, but, you know, like, I, there were a few, uh, what I will term as racist comments, even on that Zoom meeting, mm-hmm. uh, that were, that were just sort of, they were just so out of pocket. But I also, like, I very much so take the stance of like people who never had a chance to know, just like never had a chance to know. Right. It's like Mm -hmm. my wife growing up in Welch's Oregon, all white community, maybe a a few Latinx folks like secluded from everywhere else. Like they didn't come into Portland because Portland was scary. (laughs) It's just like Mm. crazy because it's like super white. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, She just like never had a chance to learn about racism. Yeah. Like at all. Right. And so even her marrying me was an education and so I'm, I'm, I'm as charitable as I can be with folks who just never had a chance, but I also go, it's not, it's not my responsibility to like mm. cover over all that or even, or even ignore the offense of it or the grievous injury of it. And because, um, our history in this country stands as its own truth about white supremacy and how black and brown folks have been treated. And I, I, I like, it's not my job to get somebody from point A to point B right. on that. Right. Um, and I just, it was, it was disheartening to see the rest of all these church institutions and pastors 
Um, not even deal with it like poorly in a way where it's like you see the clips on the internet and it's like, oh, the woke mob and blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah, blah. Um, but you know, like I remember talking about the black lives matter movement with a friend, still a good friend. Um, and he was like, Oh, he's like, well, they're Marxists. And I remember thinking, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, so capitalism's Christian, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, what are we talking about? What? And, and I, I think what I, what I understood in a, I think in a way that still, still grieves me is that you have a group of people, white evangelical Christians who don't believe or understand the stakes for black and brown folks in this country, in the communities they move in, or of the cost of racism, mm -hmm. what the cost has been and what the cost still is. Mm. And so born out of that is this idea of like all lives matter. Yeah, yeah, black lives matter, but all lives matter. Why can't we just all, or the colorblindness, right? I don't mm. see color. It's just, you're just a person to me, right? And this, it was, it was this proof point, this moment where I was like, man, white supremacy has crept so far in that it's invisible. Mm. It's invisible for the church. And I can't say it hasn't impacted my relationship with the church since then. Um, but also not to totally color it because it's so funny. It's like, one of the most famous religious figures from the last hundred years who dealt almost exclusively with race is not somebody we talk about as a religious figure necessarily. It's like a side note. Mm. Now I'm talking about the guy who we all know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Like philosopher, theologian, pastor, yeah. right? Uh, extraordinary speaker and thinker. Um, He's a bigger figure, a bigger theological figure than Billy Graham mm -hmm. or whoever else, whoever else you want to put up there. Yeah. Nobody comes close to that. But because he dealt with race, it's all of a sudden he gets shoved over into this like this side pocket where yeah. it's almost like the church doesn't want to have anything to do with him. Yeah. And I think like that's where we find ourselves now. As the church has sort of gone, have we done enough DNI statements? Did we do we put enough black squares on our Instagram? Mm. Do we make sure we avoided weird language from the pulpit enough? And as like, can we just get back to like th this whole God thing's not really about race? Can we just get back to Jesus? Yeah. And and I sort of go, I don't know. That book seems to have a lot to say about race. A lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah. And also the, plot twist, there's no white authors in the scriptures. <laughs> Just so you know. So, uh, you know, that, that infection, um, I, yeah, I think, I think still leaves me in dismay. Mm. And, and again, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the cure for that kind of cancer is. Mm. Um, it's not more black folks showing up to churches going, right. here's how to talk about race. I just, yeah. I don't think that's it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a reckoning with the very birth and rise of our country. Yeah and whose backs that was built upon and the why of that. And yeah. that the erasure of that story, uh, the whitewashing of it very literally um, is, will be the problem that we have to continue to overcome mm -hmm. um, uh, or, or we'll stay where we're at. And that's look religious or non-religious. That's a, that's a problem both sides got to deal yeah, with. Absolutely. Absolutely.
Yeah, man. Well, thank you for sharing your story and your experience with that in churches. Um, I know for a lot of you, you are still part of churches and for a lot of you, you're probably white and you're probably just like me, another white guy living out his, his church, church life. Right. Um, one of the things I saw the church do over and over again, and you touched on it was we just tokenized the shit out of anybody who wasn't white during, during 2020 and maybe a little bit further than that. The things that, um, I think that were pinging my, what I, I had what I call like a holy flinch, which was like, I, I can't, I can't explain it yet, but I know something's just kind of off here was how, uh, we talked about it in like the biggest public sense, but, and you hit on this so beautifully, you said it so beautifully. Well, um, the systems and how the whole thing runs the engine, what gives the entire organization life. None of that changed. All we did was we put black people on in front of the pulpit and said, give us your experience. And while that might be a good move, sometimes I think there are much bigger things that need to change, which is like the actual way that the entire structure is built. A friend of mine um, once told me that there's a difference between inviting someone to your table and inviting them into the kitchen. Mm. And so you can have all the seats ready for everyone to be part of your community, but who's helping you actually build that community? Like, is there uh, people of color, queer people, women on your board uh, in leadership? How many times is the, the white guy, like maybe the white guy is at, you know, the top of the pyramid. Sure. What does decolonizing that leadership look like? De destructing that, that sort of like leadership structure to have other people that have zero background like that white man. Um, how do you diversify the equity in those, in those places? I think that's a huge thing that the church needs to work on, but that doesn't, you know, resolve one of the big things you said, which was, um, if you could rethink church, you're not sure if you would, yeah. because the, it could be that how the entire thing looks right now, we might've like just completely missed the mark in a yeah. lot of ways, which is true, which is so true. And there's still beauty and there's still belonging in the thing, but I think we need to drastically maybe rethink mm. how the whole thing gets done. Yeah. Yeah, man. When I think what really will fix it and for the folks who passed through 2020 and said something's got to change. Mm -hmm. They all universally have the same experience that I think our, our country is begging to have. And some folks are having it and the church is begging to have is, is simply grieving. It's like when that light bulb turns mm -hmm. on and you go, Oh my God, what have we been doing for the last how many years yeah. to who Yeah, is you, your heart should rip in half. And that, that grief that you feel over that wrongdoing, over that tragedy, not mm -hmm. cover your ass, not, oh, let's come up with a bunch of answers. Let's yeah. hire a DEI consultant. Let's yeah. get a black person in leadership. Like if you move straight to the fix, you haven't actually grieved the, the injury yeah. to, to countless lives and, and let that grief stay as long as it needs to, to change you. And to change your actions and the systems you implement and what you believe and care about going forward. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 
beware of the person who never felt any grief in the first place. Yeah. Who is just sort of going, Oh, I, I, I understand what's asked of me now. Yeah. I need to use different language when I talk about this. Otherwise I'm going to get in trouble. Hmm. That person's going to still behave in the same exact way. And look, I, I see that across companies, all the, com- all the big companies oh, that made yeah. all the promises. Oh, I bet. Right. Yeah. It's like, you didn't change anything actually. Yeah. Uh, and it, it will leave in place the same systems that are doing the same harm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there has to be real grief felt. Dude. So yeah. Mm. That is so good. So good, man. Thank you for the, the honesty in this. This helps so much. Um, all right, let's finish up. I got some rapid fire questions for you. Yeah. Hit me. All right, let's go. Number one. Uh, what's your current favorite binge? What are you binging right now? Mm, uh, well, I'm about to binge, um, this, uh, Netflix anime, uh, it's called the, the blue eyed samurai, I think. Okay. Um, it looks amazing. Um, uh, I mean, my wife and I, we watch so much television like nice. you know, last yeah. week tonight with John Oliver. Um, we're in the middle of the morning show. Um, I'm a huge fan of like all the Marvel shows. So yeah. And, Have you watched and, the bear? The bear. Oh, it's so incredible. It's, it's so, so good. good. Sorry. The first time I, I was just hooked. I was like, yes, the show. I, I have a tendency to bring that show up every single <laughs> episode. So sorry, everybody. I had to ask. Um, Rob and I literally went on like a 20 minute rant about that show, which was awesome. So you should go watch that episode just to watch the part about the bear. Okay. Is uh, hot dogs or sorry, not hot dogs. Ketchup on hot dogs. Is that a sin? Would you yeah, call that a it's sin? It's not great. Ketchup is ketchup is kind of bad on anything unless it's fries. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 But like, Okay. I don't know how I feel about that. Cause like, you know, I grew up in Indiana and so like my, like every day after school, it was like hot dogs with ketchup. Yeah. That's also ketchup what you your buy. Barbecue sauce. Yeah, man. That's what you, exactly. Dude, we were on welfare. You think I had barbecue sauce growing up? We had ketchup. Not even like the good brand, not even yeah. Heinz. It's like Aldi off brand ketchup. It was like diluted tomato juice. Yeah, I'll, I'll That's all it was. It okay. Okay. What was the anime show that you're, I think it's called the blue eyed samurai. Okay, nice. We have the. Have you seen anything about that, Emily? I feel like that's something you'd be into. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, what's something currently in your Amazon cart that you want to buy but you just can't press the checkout button? Well, there's always a handful of books there. Of and course, then I do press the checkout button eventually. Um, uh, oh gosh, there's uh, this really cool Afrofuturism book by Nettie Corfor. Um, that I'm excited to read. Um, uh, I, I snagged a copy of Z-Way's new short, uh, uh, book of essays for my niece that now I want a copy of. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I like, I collect books, yeah. but I also love reading books, but I also read obnoxiously slow. So I buy them faster than I can. Read okay. Them. Okay. Very cool. All right. So we're, we're important. Uh, you're a coffee drinker, right? Yeah. Like you drank, you drank that black, right? Yeah. My man. Okay. So favorite coffee shop in Portland. Uh, Cova coffee. That's the wrong answer. I, I love Cova coffee. That's the wrong Their beans answer. are so good. Now look, I also, uh, I love Sam at good coffee. Good coffee is brilliant. Also the wrong answer. Um, water Avenue's fine. Um, look, Stumptown, forget about those guys. Although my wife and I, we still buy it. Um, uh, you know, uh, you can get me with a little bit of, uh, I don't know. Uh, was it the junior's coffee over from Gilder? Okay. Um, yeah. We're getting into uh, am like I supposed a, to say what heretic coffee? Have you been there? I haven't been there yet. Okay. So that's, that's a problem. But then also <laughs> like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to say. Cause it's the truth. You didn't know that's the coffee shop here in, in Portland, but, 
Um, yeah, dude, you gotta come by sometime. I would love to. I, I mean, I, I love coffee. I still remember my first cup of black coffee because I was like, coffee's bad. Yeah, yeah. And my friend Sam, who now runs Good Coffee, um, took me. Uh, we had coffee at Stumptown, and he's like, "Just try this." And I had my first cup of like black coffee. How old were you? Uh, I was like, just like twenty five. Oh man, um, yeah. And I was like, oh my god, this is so good. It was nice. like, it was like having a cinnamon roll for the first time. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. What have people been keeping me from? I was eight or nine. Doing yard work with my stepdad. And I was like, dude, I'm tired. And he's like, here, drink this. Hooked early. And Love it. man, here we are. Now I own a Never whole coffee roaster, coffee shop. <laughs> man. Okay, so we got your favorite coffee. Favorite favorite spot to go eat. Mm. Or favorite takeout spot. Uh, Love Pine State Biscuits. Love Chaba Thai. Um, uh, some good, you know, like blind onion. Uh, oh yeah. The best pizza. Like dude, uh, right. They put drugs in their crust. That crust sure. is crazy. It's like yeah. the, the, like it's like knotted around, yeah. like twisted. You know, there's like a pub. That's not even like their main thing yeah, is no, pizza. It's, like it's crazy. Pizza. It's so good. So good. Okay. Nice. Where's like the good place to get tacos. Cause I came here from San Francisco and I cannot find good tacos here yeah you know i look i'm not the the authority there uh i have six kids so you know when i make tacos at home it's just sort of like you know it's some tortillas it's some meat and some other stuff and it's sort of like yeah yeah. and stuff together oh yeah um uh so i I don't even know if i'd call out a place uh that you know it's like like you know people praise uh oh gosh what is it i don't want to speak bad of anybody but you know look porcano it's fine it's fine it's fine i mean it's expensive how much do I got to pay for three tacos? Dude, it's the really? whitest tacos I've ever had. In my yeah. Life. It's like, really? <laughs> so, you know, look, that. it's fine. It's yeah. fine. Go to La Victoria in San Francisco. It's so this is how, you know, it's a good burrito or a good taco is if it's cash only. Mm. That's how, you know, that's mm. how, you know, they're just not going to mess around yeah. with like, they don't have time to like swipe your cards and pay those fees. Everything's under the table. That's how, you know, it's a good taco. Okay. Um, also, if you are hungry, don't go to the spot right next door because they like <laughs> literally the owners even told me don't eat at our restaurant. Like it's not, it's not okay. Like I'm pretty sure they have like the C for like the health code, like in their window yeah. out of like A, B and C. So, you know, like you probably shouldn't, shouldn't wow. eat there. All right. Last question. What are you currently working on? What's coming up? What's next for you? Um, we're working on two television shows that we're really excited about. Oh, hell yeah. One's, uh, uh, an option slash adaptation of our book series. Uh, I hope it's the next Sesame Street meets Mr. Rogers show, but for the Gen Alpha, Gen Z generation. Um, so that's really exciting. Working on so many books. I mean, we release about a book a week. Yeah. Uh, so always working on new projects there. And then, you know, I finally started to dive into some long form fiction on my end. Yeah. Um, I've been short story writing for uh, a minute, but starting to dive into some larger projects there. So how do you, how do you find your authors? Uh, I, I want to say magic, but it's not really the right. It's so like under the table, behind the scenes, friend of a friend knows a person like crazy because what we're doing is so specific. Usually what happens, someone interacts with one of our books and goes, you know, you should talk to is so-and-so because so-and-so they are the world's foremost expert in play Mm. or they, um, you know, they got cancer six years ago and beat it and have just this amazing story. 
And, and so that ends up being how I find people and interact with people. And it's, yeah. it's led us like, that's what led us to, to LeVar Burton. Um, it was mm-hmm. Billie Jean King seeing one of our other authors books and going, I want to do one of those. Nice. Oh, amazing. Uh, so it's this, this strange alchemy and, and it really is like, you got to know a guy and that sure. guy is yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm kind of ruthless because here's, here's my litmus test is to go, what's the one thing, the one topic that you personally are equipped to educate and empower the next generation of kids with mm. the one topic. And for most people, that's not, it's not like cooking or, sure. yeah. you know, tacos, but for the person who it is tacos, you know, immediately yeah. there's no second guessing. There's no background check. There's no, like yeah. you just know. And, and so that's like finding those people where that's their thing. And it's not always intuitive. Like we're working with a celebrity on a book on skin cancer. If you knew the celebrity, it would not be intuitive but yeah. for her. It's like she survived skin cancer. Now for her, it's, it's a, like a deeply passionate venture for her to make sure everybody's protecting their skin. And actually most of the damage that happens to your skin happens when you're a kid. Mm. So getting educated on how to protect your skin early yeah. is like so important. dude. So it's like, she's like, yeah, yeah, I do movies. But like this, this yeah. thing, she's like, I'm really passionate about this. Man. And I love that. So that's how we find folks. And, uh, you know, our, look, our hit rate's great. Like, and, and we work with some of the most incredible people in the world. Dude. Uh, random question. Do you have a kid's book about curiosity? Uh, we don't, we have a little book about, so we have a little book series. Yeah. Books. We have a little book about curiosity. We don't have a kid's book about curiosity. Okay. That's good to know. All right. I, I can see the twinkle in your eye. There's a twinkle <laughs> that might be the engine of questioning things like your faith and creating things like a podcast. So I don't know, maybe we should get coffee sometime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, y'all. If you have not picked up this book, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to throw some numbers to most of you right now. Um, we roughly have per episode about 10 to 15,000 people that watch and listen to this. I need at least 5% of you, if not a hundred percent of you go buy one of these books. The catalog for a kid's book about is like massive. Um, go check out the website. The website's so beautiful and so well constructed by the way. And if you are one of those people that need to know more about the author behind everything too, they have all the, all the authors on the website as well. Um, do you have these on Amazon as well? Yeah. Amazon Barnes and Noble. Where's like the preferred place for people to pick these up? Uh, I mean our website, okay, easy cool. peasy lemon yeah. squeezy, you know? Awesome. So first go to the website and if that's not doable or feasible, then you can use the big capitalistic ones like Amazon and, and such and such. But dude, Thank you so much for being here. All right, y'all. Much love. Go pick up this book. Go follow Jelani on Instagram. Do you have anything else out there? YouTube? Do you do the... A little bit of YouTube, a little bit of TikTok, a little bit of... You know, okay. Find me on All Instagram. Right. Just find... It. No one else has got his name, right? So like, go find his <laughs> name and start there. We love you all. See you next episode. Much love. Peace.